0: So let me begin this morning by telling you a very personal and very embarrassing story. I want to begin this morning by telling you about my first experience getting dumped by a girlfriend. You didn't see that coming, did you? I was 11 years old. It took place halfway through my first year of middle school, and it took place at the tail end of my first middle school dance. Now, I won't go into details this morning, but suffice it to say, it was a crushing experience. And just to make sure the story could one day be as melodramatic as possible, just know that the song playing in the background as I was dumped was Boys to Men's End of the Road. For those of you who do not know this song, take my word for it, Hollywood could not have scripted any better. And so here's why I tell you this story this morning. I tell you this story not so as to detail my experience, but instead to tell you about an experience I had because of it the following morning. That next morning, while my mother ran my younger sister Elizabeth into her kindergarten class at her school, I, like every morning, sat waiting in our minivan To be dropped off at my own school. Well, as I sat there in the car waiting, the Michael Bolton song popular at the time, When a Man Loves a Woman, happened to come on the radio. Again, just so as to make sure this could one day be as melodramatic a story as possible. So the song, When a Man Loves a Woman, comes on the radio and Picking at my fresh wound as it did, I began to cry right there in the car. Now, I, of course, know how silly and juvenile this all sounds. Of course I do. But at the time, you have to understand, I was absolutely crushed. It was my first heartbreak. And so here, then, is what happened next. My mom returned to the car. She opened the door to climb back in the driver's seat only to find me, her son, blubbering like a whale in the next seat over. And so, like any concerned mom, she immediately asked me what was wrong. But then, before I could answer, she heard the song that was playing, remembered what had happened the afternoon before, and immediately connected the dots. Now... Before finishing this story, which I promise I'm about to do, before I do, I need to also tell you this. It's relevant. The day before, when I returned home devastated from the dance, my parents realized that something was wrong and quickly were able to pry it out of me. Therefore, by the time my mom found me crying in her minivan that next morning, we had already had a conversation where she'd seen just how hurt I really was. Okay, so here now finally is the point of the story. As my mom settled back into the driver's seat and as she saw me sitting there so sad, saw me in such pain over the puppy love heartbreak that I was experiencing, and that split second, she looked at me, and as she reached for the words to console me, as she began to try to tell me how it was all one day going to be all right, as she did suddenly in that moment, she too began to cry. Seeing me there, me, her beloved son, her little baby boy, seeing me there in such pain, she began to cry for me. Now, let me say from the top, if you don't understand my mother's tears in this story, you're likely not going to understand the rest of this sermon. For you see, you have to understand that my mother was not crying because she thought I would never get over this heartbreak or because she thought I'd been wounded in some ultimate and irremediable way. Of course not. Now instead, she was crying because she knew that in that moment, there was no way she could convey to me that one day it would all be okay. Not in a way that would suddenly make things better for me. And so even though she knew what would one day come, nonetheless, she was moved to tears because she knew that I, her beloved, could not yet know that. And thus the sight of my suffering caused her to suffer along with me. Okay, enough of that story for now. For now, I want to shift gears and I want to tell you another story. Only this time, the story is not about me, it's about a pair of sisters. A pair of sisters named Mary and Martha, and about their own heartbreak and devastation. And their case over the death of their beloved brother Lazarus. Now the story I'm referring to, of course, comes to us from John chapter 11, and as the story goes, Lazarus had been sick for at least a few days before his passing, and because Mary and Martha had been concerned, they had sent word to Jesus via a friend that their brother was on the verge of death. Well, according to the text, Jesus loved Lazarus very much, just as he very much loved Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha. This was apparently a family with whom Jesus was particularly close. So Jesus had received word of Lazarus' illness and had already made plans to go to him. But instead of going straight there, the text tells us, he had instead lingered for two more days in the place he currently was. And it was during those two days that Lazarus died. Well, that leads us to the part of the story with which we will be most concerned this morning. When Jesus finally does arrive to the town of Bethany, where Mary and Martha live, and when Jesus finally does arrive outside their home, both sisters, first Martha and then Mary, say to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here none of this would have happened. Lord, if you had been here, none of this would have happened. Well, according to the text, many friends from far and wide were present in this moment. And so upon seeing these people and upon hearing the sisters' words, Jesus quietly says, Show me where you've laid him. And then after saying that, the text tells us, Jesus watches the sisters begin to weep. And he takes in the grief and the mourning of the entire group surrounding them. And then seeing this, seeing this deep emotion taking over these people he loves and cares about so much, seeing this, the text tells us, Jesus grows, quote, greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. And so disturbed in spirit and deeply moved, he now follows them to the place where Lazarus has been laid. And then standing here. Right outside this place where his beloved friend lies dead. And here looking upon the grief and the tears of these sisters and these people that he loves so much. Considering their sorrow and their mourning. Here in this moment. Jesus begins to weep. Here in this moment. At the sight of his beloved's pain. Jesus begins to weep along with them. Okay, let's stop right there for a moment. We'll return to this story soon. For now though, I want to shift gears. And I want to quickly talk about that which theologians and philosophers call the natural problem of evil. You know, these Harsh realities in the world that we lay people call things like hurricanes and tornadoes and tsunamis and famines and droughts and, yes, pandemics. And thinking about these phenomena of natural evil, people of faith often find ourselves asking the question, Why would a good God allow such pain and such suffering? And this is, of course, putting aside the related question of why God would allow moral evil, by which we mean evil that is caused by human agents, where at least, even though we can't describe it and can't fathom how God would allow it to happen, at least we can thereby ascribe blame to someone But we're not talking about moral evil with this question. We're now asking why would God allow natural evil? For instance, how could God allow 230,000 people to die in the tsunami of 2004? Or 1,800 people to die during Hurricane Katrina in 2005? Or thousands upon thousands more in the Haitian earthquake of 2010. And I could, of course, go on. The list is infinite. Surely, people of faith contend, God better have some good explanation for this. Because if God had really been there, we find ourselves thinking, surely then this would not have happened. Am I right? Now I don't want to get in the weeds this morning on the question of why these things happen if for no other reason than that honesty and humility require of me to confess that I simply don't know why these things happen. Now the reason I bring up the question of natural evil this morning is because quite obviously we are witnessing it this very moment on a global scale. As I preach this sermon, this very minute I am preaching to an empty sanctuary. As you listen to me preach, you listen to me from the safe shelter of your own homes. And the reason that we find ourselves in this bizarre circumstance is because a highly contagious virus is spreading across the world at an unprecedented rate. To date, 31,748 people have already died from COVID-19. In the United States alone, where the contagion has only been active for a matter of weeks, already 2,229 have died. And according to public health experts, this is merely a drop in the bucket compared to what number could be when finally this outbreak runs its course. And so people are scared, and people feel vulnerable, and people feel helpless, and people are rightly angered by the way it is ravaging lives and upsetting civilization. And so quite naturally, people of faith are asking, where are you, God? Because if you were here, none of this would be happening. leading me back to that moment in the car with my mother. Remember now, the point of that story was not to highlight the severity of my heartbreak or the fact of my mother's foreknowledge that one day I would be okay. The point of the story was my mother's suffering along with me because she knew that there was no way I, at that point, could know that too. In other words, the point of that story was that despite what she knew, she nonetheless suffered along with me. And here now is why that is relevant. In this same way Jesus... When learning of Lazarus' death and when arriving to see his friends grieving, he, like my mom in this silly example that I have just given, he, in this moment, knew what was going to come to pass. He knew what he was about to do. He knew what would soon take place. Yet he, like my mom with me, also knew that there was no way that Mary and Martha and the rest of their friends could know that. And so despite the fact that he did know that, despite the fact that he did know that the suffering of the present moment would soon and very soon be made better, despite the fact that he did know that, he nonetheless, and seeing his beloved's tears of suffering, suddenly began to weep along with them. Friends, I cannot possibly overemphasize this moment any more heavily. At the sight of his beloved's suffering, not just at the sight of Lazarus' death, but far more at the sight of his friend's grief and hurt and pain and suffering, at the sight of this, Jesus wept. Leading me to a very quick word on Orthodox Christian theology. The Orthodox Christian claim is that in the person of Jesus, God, creator of the world, took on human flesh. Then, a mysterious yet very real way, that Jesus is what God operating under human conditions looks like. That seeing Jesus is seeing the human face of God, as theologian John Robinson puts it. And here's why pointing out this orthodox claim is so relevant and important right now. If we believe this, which I absolutely do, If we believe this, then what this means is that everything we see Jesus do in the Gospels, not just what we see Him teach and not just the miracles we see Him perform, but every action He takes and every emotion He experiences. If this orthodox claim is true, then that means that each of these things is a window into the very heart and character and personality of Creator God. And thus it follows that if Jesus, at the sight of human suffering, is moved to tears out of his empathy for and concern for his beloved, then so too is creator God moved to tears by the sight of all human suffering. If this point registers with you the way it finally did years ago register with me, then there is perhaps no greater realization a person of faith can have. It's not that God is absent. It's not that God has no power or authority or control over evil and suffering. It's certainly not that God is a monster. It's instead that God, who is at work reconciling all things, slowly and lovingly and patiently redeeming the fallen cosmos and the broken human beings who populate it. It's instead that God, like Jesus with Lazarus, and for that matter, like my mother that day with me, knows that eventually all things will be mended and all hearts made whole and all wounds healed and all eyes dried, and all matter of things made well. It's to know that God knows this, but that God also knows that we cannot in our current limitation know this, not in a real and experiential way. And so it is that God then, out of the same love that moved my own mother to tears over my suffering, suffers along with us. If we grasp that, and if we believe that, there is no more powerful insight to be had into the parental love God has for all of humanity. writing from a German prison not long before he would be executed for taking a stand against Nazi Germany. After having himself witnessed the atrocity of the Holocaust firsthand and after having agonized himself over the question of where is God in such a godless moment, writing from a German prison under those circumstances, German pastor and theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer finding solace in the weeping Christ, famously wrote in his journal, only the suffering God can help. Only the suffering God can help. If you had been here, Lord, none of this would have happened. So say Martha and Mary to Jesus. In this moment, Jesus knows what will soon enough come. But he knows they don't. And he knows that until they see it and experience it with their own eyes, that they can't. And so instead of trying to explain it to them, instead of try to argue or justify or rationalize or defend himself, instead of any of that, instead he simply joins them in their suffering and he weeps along with them. Today, 31,748 people across the world have died from the present pandemic. Tomorrow, that number will no doubt be higher. Weeks from now, it is quite possible that factor could be exponential. And so as people of faith, we'd be inhuman not to look at this atrocity, at this potent form of natural evil and say, where are you, God? Where are you, God? For if you were here, none of this would be happening. It is a perfectly faithful question. Just ask Mary and Martha. As people of faith asking it, though, what today's scripture reminds us of is this. That the answer to our question, if there be one, and as Christians we stake our lives on the faith that there is one. Today's scripture reminds us that the answer to our question will not come in the form of a rational theological defense or some clever bit of explanation but rather in a deep and abiding faith in the promise of Easter. Our answer to the question, God, if you were here, none of this would be happening, comes to us in the faith that soon and very soon, God will redeem this entire broken cosmos, resurrecting it and us in the way Jesus resurrected Lazarus. Yes, the answer comes to us in that faith. And in the trust that until such time as that comes to pass, that God who knows that we can't know this in the same way that He knows this, our answer then comes in the trust that God therefore suffers along with us. Yes, when we ask, where are you God? God. For if you were here, none of this would be happening. When we ask that question of God, only the suffering God can help. A simple story to close. Shortly after we arrived here in Anderson, my oldest daughter, Ada, was sitting with me on our back porch. And we were just talking about things, and so I asked her how she was doing. And she grew quiet and then looked away from me. What's wrong, sweetheart? I said. She continued to look away from me for several seconds as if ashamed. And so I asked again, sweetheart, what's wrong? Finally, she turned back to me with tears in her eyes. And she whispered, I miss all my friends back home. In that moment, I knew that someday soon, not only would she have new friends, but moreover, that the pain of this moment would one day be but a faint memory. In that moment, I knew that she would one day be okay, and that all manner of things would be okay. Okay. But in that moment, I also knew that she herself couldn't possibly know that. And moreover, I knew that just because she'd one day be okay, that did not make it okay that she was hurting right now. And so in that moment, due to my parental love for this child, a love that by its very nature causes a parent to immediately identify with both the joys and the pains of their children, In that moment, as I reached for words to comfort her, I felt a tear suddenly fall from my own eye. Sometimes words are not enough. Right now in our world, words are not enough. Right now, only the suffering God can help. And so let us remember, At the sight of his beloved's grief, Jesus wept. And in seeing this, dear friends, we have seen the human face of God. Amen.